2: Yes, this is the Huddle Breakdown, the podcast that looks at the stats, XG and performance of Celtic FC. Like a football club in the middle of a transfer saga, we have received tons of tweets since we started asking us to cover this topic in particular and we're going to do it tonight. We're going to do a deep dive into Scott Brown. You might know Scott Brown, he signed for Celtic in 2007, he won 10 Scottish League titles, 6 Scottish Cups, 6 League Cups and has been in the Scottish Football Team of the Year, an astonishing 10 times but this year it has been somewhat off a what have you done with for me lately type of year for scott brown father time spares no men and it seems that age has finally caught up with brown as always alan morrison and juco james are with me to provide the numbers gentlemen hello hello hey guys so let's get straight into it then alan i'll give you the honors thoughts on scott brown
1: we've been speaking uh, about Scott Brown um, through you know my blog, through blogs that James has done, through Twitter for for quite a few years actually, and and it's got a little bit nasty at times. I think obviously people feel you know criticism of players. Some people maybe feel it's gone too far. I don't know, or whether it's personal. So listen, Scott Brown is twenty two honours and six hundred and seven appearances. He's won a trophy every twenty seven appearances. You know he's one of the greatest Celts of all time second only to Billy McNeil in terms of captaincy and record. And that is the the key legacy. and That is the most important legacy that we want to have and will have uh, around Scott Brown. Um, You know, uh, for me personally, you know, I wrote an article in June 2019 called uh, A Growing Old Gracefully. It's on Celtic by Numbers. Look it up. And the reason I say look it up is because you know, I, I said pretty much everything I wanted to say in that article. It, it was a fairly gentle article. It pointed out that, you know, Scott Brown was then 33 years old. He was it actually came out in June, just a few days before his 34th birthday. And, it you know, it just pointed out the fact that, you know, across his performance metrics, he was on a fairly a fairly gentle but perceptible decline. And by the way, Celtic, what are you doing about succession planning? And that was pretty much the thrust of the article. And here we are, two years later, and I could have written the same article at any time over the last two years. And that's for me. If I if if there's a defensiveness or there's a uh, irritation, it's really that fact that for me the club hasn't done enough to really succession plan around around this player. So in terms of where we are today, and again. One of my blind spots is I hate repeating myself, so I've not felt the need to repeat this article over and over again over the last two years, but I know James has picked up the baton and, and attacked this
3: from
1: from many different angles, and, and I'm sure he will continue to do so in this podcast. But what I wanted to do is really... Because this isn't a vendetta against Scott Brown. This isn't a personal attack against Scott Brown. This is uh, hopefully a balanced, fact-based assessment of performance as we always try to do. And I want to really try and bring to life where comments are made about concern, about, oh, that's another 90 minutes, it's another key game where Scott Brown is anchoring the midfield. Why is that an issue? I want to really kind of, rather than uh, you know, just talk the talk, it's actually walk the walk and show you the data and really bring that to life as to why that's an issue for, for Celtic. An amazing career as I've said um, do, do you know that between between the age of 24 and 27 which you know, some might think well, would be peak years for a midfielder uh, he only averaged about 35 appearances a season and this sort of 50 plus appearances per season thing is something that's kicked in in the last uh, five four or five years while he's been in his 30s. But really what we're, what we're seeing here, and that is a bit of an oddity, but what we're seeing here, listen, is absolutely natural age-based decline. I don't know how many of you watched the Barcelona-PSG game, uh, the Champions League game, you know, Mbappe scored a hat-trick, PSG played a played an amazing match to, to destroy what is a team uh, in Barcelona anchored by Pique, Busquets and Messi, who are all in their mid-30s now, and, 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 you know, as great players as they are, you cannot mask the physical decline that comes to all players, even Messi. Messi, mm-hmm. at 32 years old, is clearly now managing his game and changing the way he plays uh, to, because of the ravages of age. I've been lucky enough to see Messi in the flesh. I have never seen a pair of legs move as fast as his did. It was literally a blur. It was like the roadrunner watching his physical legs move across the pitch. He's 33 years old. He can barely rarely do that now in games. That's not to say that Messi, you know, we all hate Messi and Messi's rubbish and he should be dropped. It's just that he can't do that anymore. It's just a physical impossibility. And when you're looking at certain positions, uh, you know, a dynamic winger uh, and a central midfielder, <laughs> you, know, you need that dynamism. You need to be able to right- react quickly to danger. And therefore, age is an issue. Scott Brown is now 35 years old. He will be 36 in June. So to give you some numbers and sort of, you know, again, come back to some facts around this, if I plot Scott Brown's performance data over four seasons, there's no falling off a cliff here, right? There's no sort of sudden moment where you think, oh God, his legs have gone, he's absolutely lost it. This is a gradual but perceptible decline. And I'll come to the impact of that in a second. One of the most stark uh, you know careers that I think we've seen in recent years at Celtic was, uh, you know, Cole Turi. Was signed. I think he was thirty-five years old. And I might apologies if I'm wrong about that. Rogers signed him. It was in our continual period of centre half, um, you know, injury uh, players leaving, never having that settled partnership. Colaturi came in, and in that season, he he not single handedly, but he certainly guided a, a quite a a raw defence through champions league qualifiers and got celtic into the group stages and and it was really impressive to see this guy who'd played at the top level arsenal man city won all the trophies in england played you know he played for top top teams uh, and 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 he, and he managed that team real basically through that qualifying campaign and then once we got into the into the actual group stages itself celtic played i think it was borussia back at celtic park and Colo turi had the sort of game that frankly um, you know Duffy has had several off since he's been here and and he, he literally his career almost ended on that night he, he he didn't he did play some minutes after that he did make some appearances after that Borussia game but in terms of his unmeaningful meaningful career it pretty much ended ended like that and, and it was it was quite incredible and 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 I've seen you've seen Celtic careers um, not not through age end through single performances Tyler, I think was it was Tyler Blackett, that was a kid from Manchester United that we had on loan. Uh, we had a game against Mulder uh, in, in a European competition where, again, he had an absolute horrendous performance and he barely kicked a ball for Celtic again after that. We had a young Irish lad, is it Owen O'Connell, that played uh, under Dyla um he, he won. He won literally, and, and I'm not kidding. The, the, he won literally every single headed duel <laughs> that, that came his way. He was like Duffy in that respect. Um, he, there maybe be. I'm not. I'm not joking. There might be one or two he didn't win in all of his appearances. But he played a game against Dundee United where he, I think he was responsible for two goals. Um, I can't remember the result of the game. It might be a high scoring draw. Um, and, and and again, he never he virtually never played for Celtic again. With Brown, it's not like that. It's, there's been no moment. There's I think there's been some really worrying performances, especially recently. But it has been that sort of perceptible de- decline. So if I come to the data, what am I talking about? If you look at his key, some of the key defensive metrics that we've talked about before, the defensive action success rate, possession win percentage. Scott Brown's percentages have barely changed in in all the years that he's been playing in that position. His consistency levels are fantastic. So what's the problem? The problem is it's the volume of defensive actions that has been decreasing, okay? If I look at number of clearances over four years, down 12%. Number of interceptions over four years, down 25%. Tackles won, 11%. Tackles lost, 38%. He's just involved in less challenges. Aerial jewels won, down 15%. Aerial jewels lost, down 31%. He's smart. He's picking his battles. He's not losing as many jewels on a percentage basis. He's simply not partaking in as many because he, just, he simply hasn't got the legs to get to as many. So, so what we're talking about here is not a degradation in his effectiveness in challenges, in his effectiveness in making interceptions. It's the fact he simply isn't making the volume that he used to do. If you look at his actual possession stats... In, in in 2017 18 he's he was involved in 85 uh, possessions events if you like during a match. by 2021 that's down to 64 so it's a quarter reduction and i would say that 25% number that quarter reduction if i had to really dumb this down if you look across all of his metrics that 25% number is probably roughly what where, where he is in terms of lower volume across all of his all of his metrics um And that's it really it really does equate to almost like a five percent drop every year. Now, five percent in the in the in the context of football metrics is a significant amount. 25% is a very significant amount. We're talking about small margins here, but significant, Mm -hmm. significant margins. If you look at the things, you know, what's increased? There's two two metrics that have increased massively over the last four years. One is missed tackles, up 79%, the other is the number of times he's been taken out of the game. By forward passes, that packing stat that I've talked about a lot, he's being packed forty four percent more now than he was uh, three three seasons ago, and they, these are both um, proxies for, you know, reduced pace, reduced dynamism, uh, reduced ability to cover the ground, and, and and therefore snap out danger. On the on the on the wider the wider side, if we look at his uh, cr- creativity, that was it was never high. But again, things like you know expected assists, uh, comp- even completed passes, even just the volume of passes that he undertakes, chances created, these things are actually not down very much. But it was never a particularly high base to start from. Mm-hmm. So, so you know we're not, the fact that Scott Brown still you know got this, roughly the same number of expected secondary assists, which is the pass leading up to the pass that creates the chance, is much the same as it was three years ago. That's great, but it's one point one, one point two per game, right? It's, it's really It's not going to make much difference. Scott Brown was never the creative hub for Celtic. So what we're talking about here in summary, then, is a player whose simply, um, you know, physical capabilities to do that defensive midfield job have meant that, again, he doesn't glaringly stand out because he's never there or he's never getting some challenges in. He is. And if you look at the last three or four games, you can see that you know, he's actually played pretty well after having quite a long time out. But if I, if I were to summarise this then, what does Scott Brown's decrease in volume mean for Celtic? And for me, it means there's like five major issues. The overall workload that Celtic have to deal with in terms of defence hasn't much changed. So if your key defensive midfielder linchpin is not getting through as much of that workload, then that work's got to be taken up by somebody else. So that's problem number one. Second thing is, you know, that, that natural decrease in dynamism of movement, that anticipation, speed, and then the actual ac- action itself. If you watch the, to me, it was visibly noticeable if you watch the European games this season, where he physically wasn't reacting to the bounce of the ball in the boxes. But he couldn't get his body into the right position. He physically wasn't recovering in time to where danger was. He physically cannot get there. And also re- recovery... Speed, so the third issue is that weaknesses become exacerbated, okay Scott Brown's always had weaknesses for ball chasing. He pulls himself out of position he's like a he is like the proverbial terrier chasing the football sometimes, but a he doesn't he can't get there as quickly as he used to do, and b he can't recover if if the team actually you know play through that that sort of overcommitted press. he's got many of the same faults that Duffy has: ball chasing, poor recovery speed, and rashness. And, and those things are just accentuated uh, when you see the, um, you know, the decrease in physical capabilities. And then the other the fourth area where I think this season has come to light is the risk of having a player like Scott Brown in the team um, increases uh, for the team itself due to what I'll call toxic combinations. So Scott Brown on, on his own, surrounded by athletic, uh, disciplined players, may not actually be much of an issue. But if you put Scott Brown in the same team as a Shane Duffy, who has all the same characteristics as Scott Brown does in a negative sense and a positive sense in terms of these sort of intangibles like you know leadership and drive and commitment. But he has all of the negatives as well in terms of lack of speed and the things I, I, I talked about. And you add in the fact that Scott Brown as a defensive midfielder is covering a team where both fullbacks, when we had Frimpong and Laxalt, are... are Bombing on at great pace, often at the same time, massively entertaining, you know. But when you've got that positional ill-discipline and you're the central midfielder, you need to have preternatural skills of anticipation to predict where the danger is going to come, because it could come anywhere across the pitch when you've got people uh, playing in that way in the same team as you. So, so, so there's that sort of toxic combination that we've had this season that has just exacerbated. The the, the 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 having a player like Scott Brown at his age in the team, and then the f- fifth and final uh, major impact that has on the team is, is is more specific impact on others in terms of, you know, and I'm talking here about Callum McGregor. So when Callum McGregor plays with Scott Brown in a two in a four two three one type formation, um, the fact is that McGregor's um, you know creativity outlet output it, it decreases. It's as simple as that so not only is scott brown not a particularly uh, creative player and never particularly was you're you're now taking um, mcgregor's you're now reducing mcgregor's um you know creative re- e- effectiveness as well meaning you've you've taken a third of your attacking <laughs> effectiveness is kind of is, is kind of deflated in terms of mcgregor you know what is the evidence for that if we look at this season and 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 i, I didn't look at last season because believe it or not there were only 3 games last season where brown didn't play uh, and McGregor did, and one of those was that awful Dunfermline Cup tie, if you recall, when it went to extra time. Um, and again, if we look at back, if we look back to eighteen-19, then again we get sort of dewy eyed about that October November period where Brown was injured, and and uh, Christie sort of emerged at half time like a like a like a caterpillar out of his chrysalis <laughs> and exploded into life uh, in that cup semi final against Hearts, and the team the team that had a midfield of Christie. And McGregor, and then either one of Inchalm or Rogic were kind of 50-50 as to which one it was, suddenly went on a run and you know, they had a few high scoring wins. They also had some losses. But, mm-hmm. but my goodness, it was entertaining. And, and gosh, it was fun. And it was just a younger, more dynamic midfield. That isn't a good proxy for this conversation. The reason for that is is that McGregor actually played the six in that formation. And so what happened was his attacking numbers actually went down but his defensive numbers went up and he actually played pretty much like a six so if we look at this season uh, and, and look at the games that Brown has been absent and we've got a pretty good uh, run of games there we've got about 10 games in 12 games where Brown was absent and you've got two things that went on there one was obviously Brown wasn't there second of all was we changed this 4-4-2 diamonds so it wasn't necessarily two players sitting it was one sitting and that was Sorrow who's obviously... You know, a, a more uh, quicker, more dynamic, younger player—not necessarily a better player—but <laughs> it's just a, just a younger and more and fitter player. Um, McGregor's numbers changed dramatically. So McGregor suddenly, in the games where you know he wasn't playing with Scott Brown and having to cover, and and uh, you know, uh, and almost cover some of Brown's uh, decreased effectiveness, Brown uh, McGregor's expected assists went up thirty-two uh, percent. His expected goals went up thirty-six <laughs> percent. Uh, you know, his number of uh, chances created, what well, went up sixteen percent, number of times he got into the box, uh, opposition box got in, you know, went up seventy-three percent. So 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 what I'm saying is that it's not just the impact of Scott Brown, he's a bit slow, he doesn't react as quickly, he doesn't get there as quickly. There are a number of issues this 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 raises for Celtic as a team. And I know that's something that James is gonna probably look at in a little bit more detail.
3: Yeah, Jim, do you wanna hop in on that then? Yeah, so the um just to go back, I mean, this is kind of ironically an origin story for uh, Alan and my relationship, <laughs> um, and our friendship. Hopefully, I I characterize you as a friend, Alan. Um, hopefully, was this you're a, is this a, a mid-cute Then was it? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it, I, I I think my first uh, first time I ever commented on his on uh, Celtic by numbers was on that um, that piece uh, that Alan referenced from from June of nineteen, and um, it really started for me when, when Lennon was, uh, I think it was April of when they were kind of closing out the season. Um, when he talked about that you know, they're going to build the team around Brown and because of, you know, I, I think of this as kind of an Occam's razor perspective, which is, um, you know, the simplest answer is probably the likely to be the right one. So, um, in analyzing, and I kind of started from that, it's like, well, you know, uh, I've said this before, you know, Michael Jordan aged, Muhammad Ali aged the the greatest athletes of all time aged. There's a reason why, uh, you know, the Olympic hundred meter dash is not filled with 35 year olds, but ultra long distance athletes, you know, go well into their thirties or the late thirties or even forties. And that's fast twitch muscle decline is what we're talking about here. So, um, you know, it, it, it so this goes back to benchmarking as well, which is, where can you pinpoint another thirty five year old or thirty four year old midfielder playing at a European level, I mean in that the level that we're supposedly aspiring to as a club, um, and not only playing, but putting the kind of minutes in and the utilization of of Brown. Um, so that those were all the red flags to me back in that summer of nineteen that really started me. I didn't know anything about XG at that point. I mean, I've literally spent the last eighteen months to 20 months now. Uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, teaching myself about all of this stuff, and it really started from that article that followed up on uh, Lennon's comments, because uh, it just didn't make any sense to me intuitively. Everything I knew about, um, you know, my experience as a sports fan in general. So, um, so the, the benchmarking is w- was a big issue for me, and and trying to you know look for other teams that are playing four two three one, for example. You know, look at Ajax, who plays that a lot. And they almost always have guys are 21, 22. <laughs> I mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense from a common sense perspective. Right. So that, that, that I gotta go back to Occam's razor. It, it, it just doesn't make sense intuitively. So then you come back to, well, how do you analyze this and how do you actually go through benchmarking and do the analytics? Um, and, and because the reason why I start with that concept is, you know, there's always a risk of bias. There's always a risk of confirmation bias. You know, it, it comes back to um, how, how do you measure the decline? How, how do you how do you look for uh, what's that tipping point? As Alan said, and you know, who else is managing these declines, and how is it being dealt with? Um, so that that's how I kind of started this odyssey and it's the, kind of the origin story. It all start, kind of centered around this. And my, my frustration in dealing with it has beca- been because to me it is that kind of obvious simple and I think that's part of Alan's frustration in dealing with this topic for the last two plus years is uh, is because of that. Um, so, you know, w- when we look at the team side of it, um, th- the risk is, well, confirmation bias. You know, are you, are you starting with a, a conclusion, and then building your analysis to justify an opinion, and and, and that that's a fair criticism. That that's inherent to, to analytics. Um, so that's why I started the way I did in this conversation, is because to me it starts kind of the macro, which is, you know, he shouldn't be playing just based off of common sense, based off of normal age decline, um, based off of his profiles. Alan said, you know, he, he, he's. You know, he's not pure low. He's not that deep line playmaker where he might age a little better. And and this is the other concept I I like to introduce, which is the total value of a player. So you've got the defensive value, you've got the ball progression value, and then you've got the attacking value. And as Alan rightly said, Brown's never really had all, particularly as he's moved back in his career towards, you know, defensive midfield, um, you know, his utility, his value on the pitch has been largely one of kind of a battling ball recovering defensive midfielder. Um, and that 25% decline that Alan's talked about hits at his value, his overall value. So he doesn't have that create his Alan rightly, you know, not rightly, but, uh, accurately portrayed his creative stats haven't declined that much, which again, fits the profile of an age decline, right? That that's the skill it's, that's a more of a cognitive skill, you know, that's the vision that's the, um, you know, uh, the ability to, to, to see things and to make decisions. So, um, you know, he didn't have that buffer to help that cushion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, he's not six, three where he could move back to center back where maybe he could do that if he was a bigger guy. Um, but what you've seen is, you know, the fast twitch muscles have gone, which is totally normal. And the the last thing I'll add before I get into the team side of this is, it's the utilization of Brown, which I think has compounded this even more. So t- um, Alan talked about that network effect, as I call it, which is playing with Duffy and, you know, playing with the Laxalt and the tactics and doing it within the context of a 4 one If you look at how Rodgers utilized Brown as a 33-year-old, uh, it's pretty clear in his data that he was not pressing as aggressively as they, they'll call counter pressing st- stats. And Lennon actually mentioned that recently in the context of the team, where, uh, it, you know, and this goes back to the ability of, you know, there's data and then there's competent analytics. Those are distinct domains. <laughs> um, so you can come up with any narrative you want, usually with data, if you, you know, again, have a bias. So I don't doubt that Brown's running stats are comparable. I don't doubt that his counter pressing stats are actually comparable. Um, I'm sorry.
1: Or even increased
3: or even increased. Right. And, and so that's the problem. So what I think has happened is Brown and his utilization has been trying to do more in an environment where his physical decline, particularly fast twitch physical decline, has resulted in him getting caught out more. And that's why I've been harping on it for for months now about defensive transitions and if you look at his proxying data for uh, pressing in the opposition half or the final third of the opposition, those are higher than they were in his last season under Dyla and about uh, almost 20% higher than they were in that player of the year season under Rodgers in seventeen eighteen. When if you look at his output, he, he, that output was 25% higher than what it is now and uh, as, as Alan talked about in those metrics, not running around like a lunatic. Right. And I I say that tongue in cheek, meaning that he he, because his the compounding of some of those negative impulses that he has to ball chase to try and work harder and do more. And I've been saying this since the fall is that the problems that Celtic have had have not been effort. It hasn't been trying. You know, players haven't been trying hard enough. In some sense, I see it in the data. They're trying too hard and they've been pressuring too much and pushing too hard. And that's led to ball chasing and that's led to positional problems. So if you have a 35-year-old midfielder who's not quick enough anymore, who's you know, out at the opposition's 18-yard box trying to counter-press and ball recover and leaving huge gaps in front of Duffy <laughs> at center back who's yeah. playing a high line, that's h- how we had a train wreck this fall, this past fall. I mean, that, that's the equation. Well, and t- that's not t- t- Brown's fault. That's not yeah. Duffy's fault. That, that's a structural yeah. fault of the club. This this again th- this is stuff that should not this is what I started on this campaign, if you want to call it that, um, a year and a half ago, which is this is so fundamental and basic, uh, that you know you y- 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 you have to believe in something that is irrational. Like his leadership qualities are so great that you know it's gonna overcome all of these other issues, which yeah it, it's just simply you know, it's not true. If that yeah. was the case, then, you know, 50-year-olds could still be playing. 80-year-olds, I mean, it's just, where, where does that line cross? Um, so that, well, that one facts... thing that you
2: can play into is, and it, it sort of ties in with your idea of him chasing, one bonus to having him on the pitch or having a player that is 35 years old is obviously the experience and positional awareness. And especially if you're playing midfield, for 10 years at the top level, you know what you're doing, you know where you should be, you know where the best positions are, and you know when you're out of position. So you want him to hold his position and not just, and he should know that, and he should have that in his head. And it does feel like he is almost trying to prove, even to himself, if not to everyone else, that he can still be the dogged midfielder that he once was, where wow. really he should be probably sitting back a little bit and using his intelligence as a player.
3: Well, let, let me address that because that, I, I think that's a great comment and, and Alan would know this better than I, cause he's been doing it longer than I have. But to me, um, 17, 18 to a degree, and then especially, uh, I'm sorry, 16, 17 to a degree to a degree. And then especially 17, 18. And then the first half of 18, 19 are the aberrations of Scott Brown's career that, that under Rod, Rogers Rogers. It, it, again, I've seen this. I've, to me, it's clear in the data that you know they had kind of a, a honeymoon period in 1617 as they were kind of figuring things out, because Rodgers came in and then right into um, Champions League qualifiers and not a huge preseason to get all of this done. Um, and then 1718, you see a completely different utilization of Scott Brown, where he is at central six, mostly in a four-three-three. And his utilization is kind of in the middle of the pitch. He's not running around uh, kind of unsheathed uh, the way he has been this season. And like he did under Dyla in in the last season when he played, when he wasn't injured. Um, So, you know, you had basically almost a 24 to 36 month period there. And it was an evolution where it was really only 18 months where it was like a clean, rigid, defined. And by that time he was 33 years old, by the way. Yeah. And again, if you think about this from a, from a concentration perspective, you had all of that energy, all of that expertise and, and, um, those instincts funneled in a controlled, uh, concentrated way. And that's how partly we excelled in 17, 18, particularly in Europe. I mean, that's how we, you know, we got, we were third in the champions league group. Um, and, and we, you know, particularly against higher level teams, we were starting to have a better sense of control in midfield, and yeah, and, and
2: I I remember that season because a, a lot of my friends would you know take the piss out of me for supporting Celtic or whatever, and the usual stick to beat you with would have been Scott Brown and his fake bravado, hard man attitude on the pitch, and people would say that that's all he had, and I continuously said to them under in and, and that season, Scott Brown is a completely changed player this year because his role was completely different to anything that I had seen him doing. And he was excelling in it.
3: Right. And, and <laughs> e- e- I'm sorry, even at, so again, <clears throat> credit to Scott Brown, he got off a path of a decline curve that probably Lee Griffiths is on presently, which is you hit 30. If you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not the 24 seven athlete, as Diallo tried to bring in and Rogers certainly tried to uh, keep installed at Celtic, uh, you know, decline curves are different for different people. And if you're not taking care of yourself the same way, um, and, and Brown certainly by all reports kind of found a new path under Rogers and, you know, he deserves immense credit for that. His output went up tremendously under, uh, Rogers, even with his decline, uh, a lot of the stuff that I look at, he's back basically close to where he was under Dyla in, in some of his metrics. So he, you know, he was kind of in his late twenties and thirties and then he actually got better into his early thirties. So he deserves immense credit for that. Um, but that's not sustainable. And, and even at 33, Rogers was managing that decline in a physical decline in a way that focused that energy in my, my view. And what we've done now is we've taken, you know, a time machine and his utilization in a system you know four two three one as i go back to you know teams that play that almost always have guys in their early 20s for a reason <laughs> um that it just compounded all these problems our, our lopsided leftness the, the the impact on on mcgregor um all of these things and it's a train react
0: ever wanted to break out of your cubicle and into a business where you can call the shots You Break Eye Fix is looking for passionate self starters interested in a franchise opportunity in the booming electronics repair industry. At You Break Eye Fix, we help reconnect people to the devices that they rely on so that they can get back to what matters most. This is a big responsibility, and from the moment you join our family, our franchisees are provided with the resources and support to bring affordable and convenient electronics repair to your community. Did we mention that with amazing partners like Samsung and Google, UBreak iFix franchisees also have access to the highest quality parts and personalized training out there, as well as specialized tools. It's true. And it's also easy to visit ubreakifix.com/ forward slash franchising and learn more about your big break at your very own YouBreak iFix. Buying a home can feel like navigating uncharted waters.
3: so I I just wanted to t- touch on that cuz I you know the, the credits there too like he he had a higher cliff to come down off of because of what he did and and you know Rodgers deserves credit and his analytics team for you know focusing that talent in in a productive way um but that's not been happening the last 18 months I mean it's been incredible how poorly that's been managed since then and and it's almost like like I said, a time machine. And we, we've got the worst of all worlds now, which is a, a guy who's clearly in decline, you know, uh chasing shadows to a degree, uh, and creating all of these vulnerabilities. To, to Alan's point that if the if the system dynamics overall were more resilient wouldn't be as big of a problem, I would argue you still wouldn't want to do it. I mean, you, you still want um, you know, a younger player in that role, just by definition. Uh, because of the decline in the output mm-hmm. uh, and and the lack of creativity, but um, so I I, I, I want to touch upon that. So let, let let's segue into how the impact is on the on the team. Did you have a comment on? I,
1: I was all I was, was going to say is it, it does come down. I think a little, there's a little bit of this. It does come down to structure and and usage, even even Because I think Scott Brown's decline, uh, and I think the picture you just painted there accurately around the fact that. He, his effectiveness improved as he was used more more efficiently and obviously he bought into what rogers was 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 selling him in terms of his role and that wasn't age specific it was actually to do with you know maybe attitude lifestyle maybe other things and actually the way he's playing now you know if you put him in a system with a 21 year old beside him where, where there weren't these structural weaknesses i, th- I think yeah, i think he'd be more effective i'm not saying i'm run with you i'm not saying sorry on, sir but i think he would be more effective than he, than he is now um, because Rogers team pressed pretty pretty ferociously at times and Brian was part of that team but, but he, his role in that w- w- was defined in that you know he, he wasn't necessarily chasing 40 yards out to the right wing to effect to, <laughs> to, to, to that press he would, he would do that within the context of staying fairly centrally I mean you know Neil, Neil Lennon himself you know if you look at his career and you look at the way he managed himself as he got older. But Lennon, Lennon was never the most mobile of players anyway. Um, and, and it was painful to watch him in his la- latter years. But he, he managed that by, by containing his role. There's that famous game where uh, Roy Keane and uh, Lennon played uh, for Celtic at Ibrox uh, in, new, in the New Year game. And Celtic won 1-0. And the two of them just absolutely controlled a much younger uh, and more agile Rangers midfield. And that was two guys, right? Both of them in their thirties. Neither of them. Uh, now that was a different time. It was, it was a long time ago, and pressing wasn't such part of the culture of the team. But Lennon himself should know, and through that experience and through that lesson, how it can be done in a more effective way. You know, so Celtic can play a more can still play counter pressing game and use Scott Brown more intelligently. But but with that that compounding factor of asking him to play that role and then having that structural uh, deficiency around other players, just not suited to playing that way. It's just a toxic, as I say, I, I use the term toxic combination. And I really think that is, that is that is, it does brown a disservice. Cause I do think he could be more effective even today.
3: I, and and he, he has been in the diamond. And I'll, when, as I get into the segue here, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that um, because he's had more protection. So even though he's, you know, still having a lot of the ball chasing tendencies that he's kind of reverted to and the positional issues, there's just more bodies in in, in a narrow sense that have made those, you know, when we were in four, two, three, one, I mean, it was like a, you could drive a freight train through the middle of the diamond, a lot of the, uh, the pitch, a lot of the times and those transitions, because we just didn't have people there. Um, so that, that's been, you know, reduced a little bit. Um, so yeah, let, let, let's transition to the, the, the team side. So what I've done is look at the um, the breakdown of team performance levels under different variables. Uh, and I've tested all kinds of different things. So again, I, I don't you know people aren't insane like I am. They don't want to hear all the crap that I do. it's It's way too much. like it's just it's too much. I don't so I don't share a lot of what I do. Um, but one of the things I do is I track you know variables in in uh, you know performance levels of the team different, uh, different lineups, uh, look at correlations and you have to, you have to be careful about correlation and causation. So, you know, again, um, there's some analytical aspects to this that people need to be aware of, but, um, so something as simple as, you know, if you ask the average supporter, who, who would you think is the worst defender that would have the greatest impact on team performance this year? There's only one answer, right? Everyone knows who that is. Christopher Eyer. <laughs> so, Right, right, yeah, <laughs> right. So everyone would say Shane Duffy. Yeah. Um. So I I've gone through different lineups and look at consistencies and and there's clear uh, a pattern of um by far the biggest delta on team performance is whether or not Scott Brown plays more so than more so than Duffy. Um. So that we, when we we have a control for that, meaning that we have lineups enough sample size where it's Duffy plays and Brown doesn't. For example, because of you know to Alan's point in, in uh, last season, I mean there was three games there, you can't test that hypothesis right So this goes back to you know how, how, how do you do analytics and test test hypothesis. Um, so we have enough of a sample size here given the totality of all of the different things that that I can look at and test. Um, so the, the Delta or the change in brown playing um, has been significant more so than duffy even. You put them together. Uh, I have the number right here with Brown and Duffy. Um, our goal differential, you know, our, our net penalty, uh, a non-penalty XG differential has been a good bit over one. Right. So that that's, I'm sorry, a good bit under one. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so that, that's the problem is once you, I've talked about once you start shrinking that XG differential, you start getting into randomness and games and bad luck and just normal variance. Uh, so us dropping points with those two playing makes sense. I tested for Laxalt, another one who had, you know, again, Laxalt's had a rough time um, to, to a large degree. He came in when the fixture list was pretty tough, right? So, that, again, strength of opponent you need to be considerate of. This is something to keep in mind with, with, with Taylor, who hasn't faced as nearly as, as uh, difficult of, of opponents. Um, I tested for that. Well, again, where's the delta with Laxalt? Did he play with Brown or not? So in games where Laxalt didn't play with Brown, the team's defending, you know XG concessions about 0. .6, .5,5 5 in that area. So then if I test for Soro, and I look at Soro's time in playing, in place of Brown, um, that's the iteration where the team's overall performance levels have been reliably and consistently strong, and to a level comparable to last season. And to Alan's point, I don't think Soros necessarily a great player, for sure. Uh, He looks competent. I mean, he's a 2 million pound player from a mid table Israeli team, right? So we're not talking about Conte here. Uh, I like him. I mean, I think he's a fun player to watch, but we're not talking about an elite player. And this goes back to this issue of Allen's criticism of transition. If Scott Brown was the most important player at the team and he's aging, how is it that we only spent, what, a total of four million pounds on Kwasi and Soro as the replacements? Excuse my French, as I like to say. How the hell did we not spend seven, eight, nine million on a legit oh. proper replacement?
1: And and, 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 you, and try and turn Beaton into a center half who could actually do that role quite competently also.
3: Competently. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um I'm so, I'm looking for competence
1: here. Well and that's what Soros bringing, I think. Yeah, I, I was eulog- I wasn't eulogizing about Welsh. He's merely competent. And that's right. such such a step forward. Well <laughs> it, it, right, and that's
3: where we've been, which is the 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 structural issues with the lineup. Um, you know, it, if you look at I think it's 10 league games now after after yesterday that Soros played in. Um if you look at those ten games, I have uh uh Basically, the XG non-penalty XG differential is like 1.6, right? That's up towards what we had last season, right? Those lineups, he's played, I think, in those 10 games with eight different iterations of center back and keeper pairings. So it's not as if you've had some consistent back four or back five that Soro has been playing in front of. It's not
1: of. forced to Julian Iyer, is it?
3: No, no. He's had <laughs> Beaton Duffy. He's had all iterations of you know what in behind him. It's he's had Hazard. He's had Bane. He's had Barkas. Right. So this goes back to, you know, how do you identify the variables that are actually impacting things? So the other thing that I did is, okay, well, that's just the team level. You know, that, that xg is not a, an end all be all uh measure of anything it's it's one stat within a toolkit of of many things that we can look at so then i looked at all kinds of different things within that lens you know so i've got some clues here i've zeroed in let me dig deeper so everything from uh let me pull it up here so everything from um uh entries into the box for our team and conceded Um, touches in the box for us, touches conceded in the box against. If you look at these, they all have a similar framework and decline. And these were all separate. Howland did his work separately than me. These are different metrics. A lot of them, Uh, they all show this similar framework between games that Brown's played. And and this is on Soro, the Soro Brown Delta versus uh, what the impact on McGregor has been, right? Which I think are related by the way. Those are probably highly correlated um, but so, for example, pressing the pressing the the uh, passes per defensive action that other teams have against us, right? Which is a proxy for them. You know, are they going to get up on our grill? You know, are are they scared of us? And they they you know like we we ripped apart uh, Aberdeen a little bit in the front first half yesterday, and then they started to back off a little bit after after uh, Turnbull's goal, a little bit. So the pressing intensity of getting really forward because we punched them in the nose. That's natural. Well, that number is when Soros playing is, uh, almost 21. And when Brown's playing, uh, now this is just in the diamond again, now this is Brown in the diamond. So kind of the best version of Brown this season, uh, passes per defensive action is just over 13. That number of 13, that that's not a team that's feared, right? When we, when we're in Europe playing a really good team, 20 is kind of a number that, and Alan probably knows this, you know, you get up in the round of 20, some of them even know get a 25 or even 30, where teams that you're like, you know, if we press these guys, they're going to absolutely rip us apart. <laughs> you know, it's a, kind of a fear factor gauge. Um, so, and, and our pressing is actually similar under both of them. So again, we get back to this issue. Brown's intensity of pressing is comparable to a 22-year-old Soro. Does that make sense? If you look at their number of tackles and and uh, uh, recoveries, the ball recoveries they make in the opposition half, they're comparable. Does that make sense? No, it shouldn't make sense because Brown's a 35 year old guy who's, you know, a lot slower in quickness.
1: And, and, and just to sort of build on that, what, what, what I mean by that is it's not like, oh, we have it. You know, Scott Brown's defying you know nature here. It's there's collateral issues because of that, because he is now chasing and pressing so hard. And guess what? He can't recover as quickly. Hence, the passing per defensive action goes up. Yeah, and the number of chances he's conceded to breakaways goes up. I
2: think right. a good example of that was against Aberdeen, because uh, uh, Sorrow give give the ball away a good few times against Aberdeen, oh, yeah. Yeah. but he was able to get back straight away and get that ball back. And especially as well from corners uh, coming into the box. Once that ball is headed away by a Celtic defender, Sorrow is right up in the opponent's face straight away. Brown can't do that. He tries to do it, but he just can't get there as quickly.
3: Well, and I think if you watch Sorrow play, he he looks more like a natural six, meaning that his impulse, and I've heard it repeatedly, Lennon yelling at him to go press, to get him forward. So I think, and if you look at a guy, I did a piece on Allen's site, actually, on Celtic by Numbers, when we first signed Soro, looking at his tenure in Israel. And he basically played mostly in a 5-4-1, you know, on a counterattacking team. So he, he was sitting deep a lot, sitting back a lot. So, I, and yesterday, to your point, and it was a perfect example, and one of those forays that he made into the, the attacking third and lost possession I noted it because it was so distinct and different than what Brown would do. He just let the guy have the ball and he dropped off, right? The guy was, you know, 90 yards away from goal (laughs) in the corner near his own 18 towards the sideline. And rather than chase that and get out of position, he backed off. And then we recovered the ball as they recycled because we had, we had positional dominance at that point then. You know, we had basically a, a, like a trapezoid of players then closing that in and closing, you know, shutting down passing lanes. So, you know, that's a perfect example of, of, a, of a situation where he very easily could have chased that down and gotten himself out of position and then opening up the middle. Um, so, you know, I, I think w- when I go through all of these metrics, um, it, it's been better under the diamond for, for the team when Browns played. Uh, because I think he's been less exposed. He hasn't had Duffy for the most part behind him. Uh, I think one or two of those games now in the run um, Duffy's played when, when Welsh was out. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's, um, we, we, it, it comes back to the, what could have should have at this point. And, and, you know, as we head into next season, um, I, it shouldn't even be a discussion. I mean, should, in my view, it shouldn't have been a discussion coming into this year. Um, my, my my thesis and all of this when i started 18 months ago with or 19 months ago was that i thought that the transfer window and um uh, bringing forster back um with an upgrade at brown's position last season 1920 season meant that we could have had a legit european team mm-hmm. um You know, it's always difficult to get into the, uh, you know, the 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 the, the scenario that you don't know about. We can't know for sure, but um, I think if we would have had a legit European level six in that side, and that was my frustration, because uh, you know, you look at Cluj, you look at Copenhagen, you know, a lot of the problems that we had defensively last season were not as bad as this season because we had Ire and we had Duff, we had a sounder foundation, um but they were in transition. You know, we, we, this is not something that just emerged onto the scene. It it was systemic in 1920 season. It just got exposed less because of how good the players were around them. The system was better around them. Um, and he was a year younger. (laughs) Uh, and, um, you know, the, the, we didn't play uh, a number of teams that were, you know, at a level that would expose it as we normally don't. So in the games against good teams that could expose it, they did. And that's where Forster, we've talked about on prior shows, covered up some of that. You know, the cup final, the Lazio wins, where, you know, they really carved us open. Even Wren's did at times in midfield.
1: Oh, those 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 different stats that I talked about at the beginning, uh, actually, that, that that's a fair comment. If you look at the kind of trend, then, you know, you you're, you've got this sort of 25% decline, Across all these defensive metrics like that, but actually the real the real um, the real sort of trend, if you like, rather than the the sort of not the real trend, the real the real picture, not the trend, is actually down. And then last season was actually a little bit of a a little bit of a a rise again in his performance levels in that regard. And and I think you know the the explanation for that, as James rightly says, is you put James within that structure of you know Julian, Forster behind him. Then you know you you you've got a better foundation. And I think going forward for this season, um, you know, playing Brown, if he wants to play Brown in that diamond with, you know, Welsh, he's young, he's made mistakes in his last few games, Ier. But when with two kind of defensive minded fullbacks that we've now got, and Kenny and Taylor, you know, these numbers are probably going to improve. And in fact, his numbers in the last three or four games, Scott Brown, have improved. You know, his number of rec- his two highest number of recoveries in any game this season have been, you know, the, the two previous games. So, you know, that that gives us hope that at least we could be reasonably solid for the uh for the rest of the season. However, you know, looking back over those four years is important because as I say, that trend is inexorable and it's not going to reverse. And 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 we continue to wait to see how the club are going to address that, that transition. Yeah. I, yeah. I had a
2: nightmare last night that Scott Brown took over from Lennon as manager next year.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well uh, that's a separate issue but and, and that that's where you know there's two sides it's when i talk about gold differential or xg differential non-penalty xg differential um i think i have it here Soro um in the diamond um again non-penalty xg is is a good bit over two uh whereas with brown i think it's um brown with diamonds like 177 uh, i'm sorry 171 And if you look at ball progressions per minute, you know, again, kind of a quickness. How quickly does the ball get moved? Because actually Brown touches the ball more than Soro when they're playing. Uh, So, again, is that a deference because he's the captain? I don't know because he's he's not moving as much as Soro uh, and getting into open spaces. So, uh, you know, he maybe drops deeper a little bit more. Um, probably mean,
1: but, it probably means that the likes of McGregor and Christie are touching the ball more. When, well, they are. When, yeah, That's actually at the play. data
3: too, Alan. Yep. yep, yep, yep. Uh, uh, McGregor's uh, received passes are higher playing with Brown, um, but with less creative output. So he's dropping deeper. And um, so with Soro, the ball progressions per minute metric is like 25% higher. So the ball gets moved quicker He's got more creativity, you know he's got he does make mistakes again we're not talking about the greatest player that ever lived here um but he's functional and he's twenty two mm. and and he probably you know just talent wise is is a better passer creatively than brown um overall i'd say and and I mean you know, Brown can pull, pull throw out some really good ones once in a while he's got great touch, but is, he, he doesn't have risk appetite I'd say that's probably my biggest criticism of Brown is he a lot of times he could be doing things that he doesn't even attempt. He just turns and takes the easy pass. Um, so you know that that's another aspect where you're, you're getting. It's not just the defending side. It's it's the ball progression and and the creative side that gets impacted. So this this goes back to. I mean, it, it's almost um, you know a sixty percent increase in, in xG conceded with Brown playing versus Soro, and and that's you know again all of the, all of the supposed strengths that people would put forth about Brown. The irony is that his playing has made the defensive performance of the team uh, weaker than, than any other aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, all these other things just compounding on, on top of that. So, you know, for the rest of the season, I mean, to be honest, I, I haven't been worked up about any of this for a while now. They've just been resigned to it. Um, I mean, my preference is to watch entertaining games. So, I thought the first half against Aberdeen was more entertaining, even though we didn't, it didn't result in, um, you know, uh, that many great scoring opportunities, but we looked like a coherent attacking side for the first half. I would argue something changed after that. We don't talk about that on this, but, uh, that's my preference. I don't think we'll get that if Brown plays for the most part. Um, but I'm not going to get worked up about it. You know, if, if we, I, 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 you know, I've been a bit of a prick about this at times. And I, when I got, when I was angry about it in the, in the, in the fall, when, you know, I was worried about this and I thought it legitimately could be part of jeopardizing 10 in a row. Um, you know, I, I talked about, you know, is this a, are we going for 10 in a row here? Or is this a, um, you know, a testimonial season for Scott Brown? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's because I was angry. Um, at this point, I don't really care. You know, if if we want to let Brown play the next nine games or whatever it is, fine. You know what I mean. It, it, yeah. At this point, it it's largely it doesn't matter that much. I I don't think Soro's the greatest thing that needs developed, and it's he's the answer necessarily for the next ten years at that position or anything. Or he's not. I don't think he's going to get sold for twenty million, anything like that. So, you know.
2: Yeah, I think I'm kind of in the same boat as that because uh, the the likes so of Oz and Edward obviously. He isn't playing as good as we would or as good as we've seen from Odson Edward. But at the end of the day, he's not going to be there next season. So whether he plays well or not doesn't really affect Celtic all that much. Same with Christopher Eyer, who's absolutely excelling at the minute. Is he going to be at the club next year? Probably not. So the likes of Scott Brown as well, he is he's on his final year's contract. He does have a year to extend that if he wants to, but He's not the future of the club, and I would—I think I'd be more upset if there was a new manager in and the rebuild had already begun. But the rebuild—the ha- rebuild has not begun because Neil Lennon is still in charge of Celtic, so it can't possibly begin with him still at the helm. So I—I'm happy to see Scott Brown play for the rest of the season as long as his performances stay at the same level as they've been the last couple of weeks. But the problems I had was when Celtic were competing for things. And he was playing because they were clearly playing to a lesser standard. In layman's terms, and this is probably a broad too broad of a question to answer on the spot, what standard of player would you say we're getting off Scott Brown at the minute, Alan? Like in terms of his quality and his output. Is he a, is he like would he still be a, a decent enough player for Hibbs?
1: So I mean I'm gonna probably def- I'm gonna defer to James only because James has actually specifically done work on this on this um, particular topic, in terms of benchmarking Brown, where where is Brown? If you were to if you were to look at um, you know, Europa League population of defensive midfielders, where would Brown sit in that population? And where would Brown sit within a population of SPFL defensive midfielders? And I'll, I'd only be stealing James's uh, own yeah. If I, 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 if I if I went any further,
3: <laughs> yeah, I I think he's probably. Um... Be, be, again, because to put this in perspective, I mean, his, his ball progression output is lower than Gary Dicker's, right? Um, and, and has been. I mean, that that's I not... Mean, are, we,
1: are we like Gary Dicker? But we well, right. The
3: G- Gary Dicker <laughs> has, a, has been a solid SPFL player. And, you know, I think Brown's better than Dicker still overall, but he's closer to Dicker than he is a Europa League midfielder. Mm-hmm. And and nowhere in the neighborhood of Champions League. I mean, that that part of me, um, I mean, the idea of us having qualified for Champions League this season and gone up against some of these teams with Brown and midfield, which retrospectively 100% would have happened, um, it could have been embarrassing. I mean, we got embarrassed by Sparta Prague. And that, that's... Uh, you know, the, the the underlying performance data of those two games were worse than either of the hidings we took under Rodgers against Barcelona or PSG. So imagine going up against PSG. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're we're
2: but, fair, I mean, fair and far We're in PSG's group,
3: weren't we? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know.
2: I, th- I think they were definitely in a very... T- I think it was... Uh, no, sorry, PSG were in... Man United's group. So, Ferencvaros, I think, were in Barcelona's group in
1: Barcelona.
2: along with Juventus.
1: <laughs> and, yeah, and, and and you know, I think they scored. I think they lost three one in in Barcelona. But to be honest with you, that Barcelona team and the structural weaknesses on that side, we we, we could have had a five four against them.
3: <laughs> yeah, and and that's again. The, I I you look at a Juventus, you look at a Barcelona now. I mean the um the delineation of clubs that have modernized and that are modernizing versus those that have not, or those that have paid lip service to do it, but then aren't run culturally with that in mind. Barcelona is a perfect example where they have poured immense resources into saying they've modernized and then not making any decisions using modern analytics, um, to build their, their team or to run their team. So, um, You know, you can pretty much see the clubs in Europe now, even within the elite that have been, uh, doing a good job at this, or even a serviceable job. And, uh, Barcelona is in for a long rebuild here. Juventus might be on the other side of the slope too. They have a lot of, you know, rebuilding that needs to get done. Um, and that, that's, you know, that's why we're doing this to a degree is to bring these topics to, uh, to the fore and, and, um. You know, ho- hopefully under the new regime, Celtic's going to uh, leap forward here and, and uh, you know, not only invest in in analytics, but hopefully ingrain it in the culture and and use it. Because that's ultimately the, you know, it, it's it's a, a big waste if you spend all that money and you bring people in that are talented and then you don't listen to them.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Barcelona's finances are even worse than Celtic's at the minute. So who,
3: who knows? They, they
1: could be playing Celtic and... It weren't that bad. I know it's, no. this is for another day, but I was pleasantly surprised by by that. I think it was it was not as bad as it could have been. But we've got another six month figures, I think, which are generally going to be worse than the first six months. So.
2: Yeah,
1: exactly. Hold, so hold fire on that one.
2: We, We've got a long road ahead of us, oh, and yeah. the hollow breakdown will be there. For the next for the next while, anyway, as far as we know, um, <laughs> until until un, we will be there until we're not. That's that's the future we're putting on the huddle breakdown. As for the huddle breakdown in the short term, next week is our week on the twenty minute Tim's Patreon page. So. If you want to listen to us next week, we'll be doing the 20 Minute Tim's Patreon special for the month, and you can get that on their Twitter page, or I think it's patreon.com forward slash 20 Minute Tim. So you can go there, subscribe to them, and they produce loads of great content as well, so you can check out them and check out our podcast next week. Alan, James, thanks very much for this week. Thanks, Thanks, guys. We'll chat to you later.